right, why don't we get started? There are handouts sprinkled around the room. Seeds that have been sown. Good morning, welcome. We are in the middle of uh, three weeks on the church. If you, remember, if you were here last week, uh, we, we started with a larger catechism, sort of looking at their logic of um, the way they talk about redemption being accomplished. Uh, it was accomplished in Christ, in his state of humiliation and exaltation. And then they ask, sort of, how does that get applied to us? How do we, how do we receive the benefits? And that's where they go into the church. Uh, the church, the visible and invisible church, is where the uh, redemption gets applied. So that's why we're, we're dealing with the church now. And then we're going to move to how it gets applied. So this is more of like where it gets applied. Um, and then we're going to hopefully have some time to get into some some church power stuff, which is exciting to talk. I mean, what is more exciting to talk about than church power, right? And then next week, we'll probably get into some more details about uh, what it means to be Presbyterian, that sort of thing. Obviously, a lot of this is, is also Presbyterian, but then we'll get into some more details next week. Okay? Any questions just about sort of where we're at and the whole scope of things and All right, let's pray. Lord, we do give you praise and honor and glory that you have gathered us as your body. You have given us new life, and we do pray that you would lead our time now, lead our uh, discussion that we may uh, learn more and more what it means to be uh, loved by you, to be known by you, and to be called as part of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, this is a this is a little bit of review, but it's sort of more more biblically explicit than than last week. If you remember when we were looking at the church, then we looked into total Christ, how how uh, <clears throat> Jesus as our prophet, priest, king maps on today. So we talked a lot about how those things uh, matter for today. We're going to kind of go backwards and think, all right, where does this start in Scripture? Um, and then move into how it gets applied through the church, okay? So um, presence, just starting with presence, especially because I think it's something that we don't always understand what we mean. We try to talk a lot about the presence of God here, the temple presence of God. But it can be a sort of slippery idea, especially if you're sort of broadly uh, evangelical. And so, just in the Old Testament, it is a crucial, crucial uh, thing, is how do I come into the presence of God? That is what we need, that is what we are made for. Um, and so, we saw, when we looked at creation, we saw how Eden itself was made as a temple that God may dwell with them. They, of course, are kicked out, and uh, God's specific saving presence is throughout Genesis somewhat sporadically, uh, but then it gets much more explicit once Israel is saved out of 
Egypt. And Moses is told to build the tabernacle. Um, and then the tabernacle basically gets concretized, literally, in the temple. Uh, so all the way through, you can sort of trace the history of Israel by tracing that uh, where the presence of God is. He's leading them through the wilderness. That generation dies. He leads them into the promised land. They finally get a king in David who wants to build the house, and then Solomon is the one who builds it. Um, it I know that that's real broad, but any anybody want to ask just about that broad strokes? This, this passage here in Exodus 25 is one of the, one example of this sort of purpose. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. That's what he wants. That's what everyone is made for. That's what Israel specifically is chosen for. Uh, that's the history of redemption, basically. Okay? So, in Jesus and after Jesus, we don't move to a time where there are no temples. It's not like God's presence now is nowhere on earth. There now are temples throughout the world in the church. And so, a lot of this is review for, for us, uh, especially having gone through the book of John last year and then Ephesians. It's hard to get more just meat as far as what it means to be the temple of God. Um, so Jesus himself being the new temple, you can almost think of the history of Israel climaxing in Jesus, himself, the person. And once he does his work of redemption, then it can go and spread beyond just one man. So Israel never really came out of exile. Jesus takes on their own punishment and exile. He takes on the destruction that they deserve and then he can actually spread it throughout the world. Um, lots of examples here in the New Testament of us being described as the temple, the presence of God. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, the, the, the anger with which Paul has against divisions in the church is because you are, plural, God's temple. How can you divide up Christ's body since there's only one? Again, on earth as it is in heaven is, is also a, a paradigm that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. And it's a paradigm where we are, are constantly praying for the presence of God to be more manifest, that he would reign as king. Okay? And so I put there, you could summarize God's purpose in the world as not selecting out individuals to get to heaven, but rather as working to gather a community into his presence on earth as it is in heaven. His glory is going to be global. That is what we're praying for. Any questions? I know this is, we just covered the entire Bible. So how could there be a question? But from Eden, from Eden to Revelation, you can, you can trace the presence of God. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to commune with us. I think one of the most amazing scenes that backs up what you 
Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Will there be a temple in the new heavens and new earth? It's kind of a trick question. Like, it's all going to be a temple. There is no, I think Revelation says there is no temple because the presence of God is so manifest everywhere. You could say everything has become a temple fully, as it was originally intended. Okay, all right, let's move on. I know there's probably questions, but it's not the main purpose here. Um, so going, so now thinking if the visible church is the place where ordinarily the full presence of God is found, as our confession, just quoting uh, previous you know, church fathers and things says there is no ordinary, outside of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. So this is just where the visible church is where salvation normally happens. Uh, Westminster says, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ has given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and does by his own presence and spirit according to his promise make them effectual thereunto. So this is, this is just to sort of frame everything that we're going to talk about. There is a purpose. It's from God, and it is to gather and perfect the saints until Jesus returns. Okay? The Catholic, this Catholic church, they're using Catholic there, small c. We'll talk more about that in a second. Has been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. In particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. Do you guys see the three, three, three marks? you guys see prophet, priest, king right there? It's kind of veiled. The, traditional re the Reformation would traditionally say the marks of the church is word, sacrament, Discipline, or gospel taught, ordinances administered, public per worship performed, meaning the gathering of those who can come to the Lord's Supper. Okay? So I still, I just think it's helpful to see the big, the, the ultimate purpose, right? The big picture. So now thinking that we're going to do church as communion and then we're going to do church as institution and government. Okay? Communion, really I just wanted to quote one of the most beautiful passages in Westminster, which is the communion of saints, chapter 26. Because you can't be united to the head without also being united to the body. So, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, right? Those are important. That's how we get united. It's by his spirit, by faith. Have fellowship with him, Jesus, in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. We saw this all over Ephesians. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, over and over. And 
being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Now, the word obliged, we'll come to in a second, but they would not say obliged if it wasn't really the case, that, that it, it, meaning it is a duty. It is simply part of what it means to be in the family. You're united to Jesus, you're united to one another, and you can't be united to one another without having that sense of obligation. And, so the, and then they explain more of the obligation in the next section. Saints, by profession, are bound. There's a lot of, of doctrine just in those two phrases. By profession, are bound. Meaning, simply by saying that you believe in Jesus. That's what saints by profession means. You have, belie- you have said you believe in Jesus publicly. You are bound. It's necessarily the duty to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion as God offers opportunity is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. So they're covering both the sort of local obligation and global as God offers opportunity. Sure. Well, God willing, when Colleen has a baby, a lot of people are going to make meals for her and for Tyler. So we're relieving them of this outward sort of stress of, of uh, having to make meals. What if you have, like, difficulties with certain situations? Yeah. How do you work out conflict, you mean? Well, I don't know if this is the place, I don't know if that specific phrase speaks to it, because this is, this is more about mercy, providing mercy, relieving someone in an outward. They're trying to say this isn't just an inward duty, it's an outward duty. So what we try to practice in our mercy ministry is an example of this. If someone can't pay rent, then they can come to us and we can hopefully provide for that. I would say conflict, maybe you could go to these sections and say, hey, we are one. We are one body, one in Christ. Let's treat each other in love because of that. Yeah. Yeah, you're, well, hopefully you're still doing it all the time, whether you're, praying for people, whether you're loving people down here at lunchtime, you're, you're trying to edify. Remember, edify just means like build them up in the Lord, encourage them. So 
you're probably doing that a lot of times where you don't realize it. Anytime you're partaking in community, spiritual services being anything that the Holy Spirit leads you to do. They are not really, they're not living as Christians. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they can't really be spending much time reading scripture because it's all over the Bible. Anthony? Yeah. Yeah. So, to that end, I picked up another one. <laughs> You're gonna hand it out. Sure. Sure. She's actually asked me. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a question here, and then Fred. Yeah. 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 It's it you're I think if you're asking lowest common denominator, what is what is the least someone can do and still be a Christian? Sure. In God's wisdom, he can save whoever he wants to save, and so it's a little mustard seed of faith in Jesus. But for someone who's only being alone as a Christian, we should encourage them to realize they're living the lowest possible Christian life. Like, this is the least you can do. Uh, you're, you're not experiencing Jesus the way he is meant to be experienced. Fred, did you want to get in? Well, yeah, in some ways it's similar. It, it is similar as far as you can't just say from your house, I'm a member of the YMCA because I want to be. And so I would say, yeah, you can't, you don't, Jesus can save you, sure. If you, if you pray the sinner's prayer by yourself in a room, hallelujah, you may be saved. But that doesn't mean you're done being a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no club that has some that's right. That's right. There's no other club that is promised to have the Holy Spirit that we are actually united to each other in love. And also the big difference is you, you get to be in this club by grace, not by paying dues or being a certain type of person. It's, it's by grace uh, is how we get faith. It's, it's a gift, right?
Yeah. Because there's practical benefits. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, that's great. That's great. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the point is, it's, obviously, salesman is, is a hard it's a it's a crude way to put it, but uh, we are saying this is how you're going to grow in Jesus. Um, so to try and grow by yourself is gonna likely be very selfish. That's right. They're hope they're sent by the church, and they're hopefully going to start a new church wherever they are. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and severed digits do not last very long apart from the body. Right, doctor? That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that there's this picture there of, yeah, if, that you can, that to combat, I guess, Julie's question of, like, can you be a Christian by yourself? It's like, yeah. you're, you're, and that's part of the club answer, too. It's like, you are already part of the body. You're already in the club. You you're just... Actually, yeah. You're in a family, and you're never going to Thanksgiving just dinner. Yeah, just participate in it. Yeah. Or you're meant to be attached to it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. You, All we should always, yeah, yeah. You sh- we should always be uh, very, very, like, aware and cautious. If we are asking questions that the Bible doesn't ask, we should wonder why. And so I can't think of a place in the New Testament where, where somebody is wondering, can I, I believe in Jesus, but can I just, you know, hang out by myself and keep doing life pretty much the same? It's just not, it's not even on their radar. And I think it's because it was so communal that that's just, that's what it meant. You, you believed in Jesus because you were in the church and living there and then naturally, like in Acts 2, you see this naturally now they're sharing their wealth and they're sharing their lives together. Alex?
Yeah, I mean, I think that's very fair. Yeah, yeah, of course. People have been hurt very badly by church. 90%. Yeah. It's like really bad. Sure, sure. Absolutely. We've never hurt anyone. <laughs> but other churches. Yeah, we can be empathetic, but I still think, uh, yes, I'll say, we can be empathetic, period. Of of course, always. Uh, But the, the urge to, the urge to, like, figure it out on your own cannot be the end of the story. Like, you will not, it, you know, it has to be a comma, otherwise... If you had stayed where you were, you would have lost your faith. Yeah. And when you're reading the saints of old, not only are you reading people who are in the church themselves, so there's a sort of inherent contradiction if you're trying to read them and you want to keep it contained by yourself, right? But also, the act of reading is you are very much still the, the decider. You can put the book away. You can disagree with the book. I mean, no, one, no one's going to jump out of the book and say, repent, you know? So it's still letting the person be the one in charge is the danger. I'd love to read. Come on. I'm not knocking books, but... Let's go back uh, to the handout. So just a quick description. So you have, you have the so-called marks of the church, which we talked more about last week. Prophet, priest, king, word, sacrament, discipline. That's, that's sort of how you can discern whether this is just a club or the church. Then you also have the attributes of the church, meaning what is the church made up of? What is it described as? And the Apostles' Creed describes it as one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Um, as far as what, what we believe in the unity of the church, we've said already it's because it's Christ's body. There can only be one Jesus. Um, 
but denominationalism makes it seem awfully apparent that we are not one. The intent, at least originally with denominationalism, is actually to preserve the unity and giving grace to each other for, for differences that are significant enough <coughs> that we can't worship together, but we're not going to say they're not Christian. Right. Where, where are you reading? <laughs> Freudian slip. Yeah, I better correct that one. They're still, yes, it's meant to say they are still a part of the one. This is why grammar is important, right? Yes, we believe our Baptist friends are part of the church. Otherwise, otherwise, we're a very exclusive club. This is why we say at communion often, this is not a Presbyterian table. This is like a lo- one local embassy of many other local embassies of the heavenly kingdom. Of course, the, the challenge for Protestants is to not be content and comfortable with the divisions. It's it's to always try and work for more and more unity. The divisions are a product of sin, I think. They're a product of the fallen world. We will not have these sorts of divisions in heaven. And so, since it's a gift and we are praying on earth as it is in heaven, we have to strive more and more to experience more unity. In the essentials, or the areas that we can. In the areas that we can't. Yeah. I mean, in areas Not that we about, can't... Like, continuing to debate about the same Well, I think there should be a place for that, too, though. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't... Yeah, I think there's still a place for continuing to debate. You still want to learn from each other and mm-hmm. tell the Baptists how wrong they are. There's always a place for that. No. Not, but seriously, I do think you don't want to give up on that. I mean, there's a, there's a time and a place, right? So Bridges of Hope is a place where this happens to an extent... Um, but we've sort of given up on that, I would say. Like, we don't debate baptism when we get together and on the board. But there probably should be at some point. We should. Right? Unity. Holiness. This probably is the, most, the easiest one to understand. Simply the one who is, the church is made holy by Christ. It's what the word saints means. Paul addresses even the, even the churches that have major issues. He still calls them saints. Catholic, uh, meaning universal, global. This is a, you could take this straight out of Ephesians as well. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no, there's no worldly division in the church. It's not connected to a national, we don't have a national allegiance. Okay? There are obviously cultural ways that the church lives, and we talked about this some last week, thinking about what it means to be missional in the place that you are. We gotta, everyone's got to speak some language. You're choosing some language to speak and not another, but that's not, that's not prescribed by Scripture or divisive of of some kind of hierarchy.
Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely think it's a wrong thing to do, to have an American flag, in, to have any flag in the church. Yeah. All right, and then apostolic. Reformed churches lodge the apostolicity, apostolicity, it's a fun word, in the succession of a particular ministry rather than a particular minister. So uh, that line from Michael Orton is, it's in contrast to Roman Catholic Church, which believes that they can simply, they can literally trace the laying on of hands all the way back to Peter. I don't think they can. I think their history even says they can't, but that's what their doctrine says. In the New Testament, the apostles had no successors. To them belonged an extraordinary ministry for an extraordinary period of the church. It was the foundation lane era, followed by the ordinary ministry of pastors and teachers. The apostles speak with magisterial authority directly from Christ himself, but they instruct the ordinary pastors who follow in their wake to receive and guard the deposit of truth rather than to add to it. So the point being here, we absolutely believe the church is apostolic. That was the major criteria for determining which books should be included in the New Testament. Because if it's apostolic, it comes from Jesus himself. But there are no apostles anymore. In the, in the technical, biblical sense of the word, because the apostles were those specifically appointed by Christ, having seen him resurrected. And so now we're building on that foundation. And so now the ministry, the pastors, teachers, all that stuff, is meant to build on that foundation. It could be, but it could be a distinction without a difference, unless if someone believes they're an apostle, so... So Rome would not say a lot of this, and maybe some Pentecostals would not say a lot of this either. Because, that, because if you're an apostle, you can add to doctrine. I mean, you can, you can still, so the Roman church, they believe the doctrine they're putting out is pretty much on par with the authority of Scripture. So that gets to authority questions. Yeah. All right. Um, we've sort of already mentioned this, but just this is the beginning of what we're going to talk about, church as divine institution. Um, divine meaning this is God's idea. Institution meaning uh, a, a specific sort of community with, with all sorts of laws. Um, I don't need to read that long quote, but that long quote basically says you can't read the New Testament and not be a part of a community with, with laws, with officers, uh, with all sorts of, of precepts and duties to obey. So the person by themselves, who are they submitting to? Right? If it says submit to your elders or obey your elders, who are they submitting to? Or if it says, make sure to take care of the widows and orphans in this very specific way, how do, how do you read that? You can't. There's nobody to apply it to if you're by yourself. So you're going to be commanded by God in the New Testament to do things you simply can't do if you're not a part of a church. 
Okay. All right, let's at least start. Obviously, we're not going to finish this, but let's start talking more specifically about church power and what we mean by that. So, because if there is an institution with power, we, we better be very clear about what kind of power that is. Okay? And basically, we want to we call that, or we think God describes it as spiritual power as opposed to a physical or outward authority that the state has. Now, how does that get to the overall purpose of the church? So if you think of what was the purpose of the church? To gather and perfect the saints until Jesus returns, and to what? To the presence of Christ through the word, sacrament, and discipline. Why does that already necessitate authority can only be spiritual not physical why can't I use physical force any ideas or should I why not why can't I, for, if I know someone, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But if I, here's maybe a concrete example. If I, if someone earlier that week confessed to me not only a terrible sin, but that they no longer believe in Jesus, and they are coming up to the Lord's Supper, why can I not stiff arm them? Physically fence the table. Me doing it to a congregant. So it's not the kind of power. Yeah, but. The Bible doesn't say you can. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. The Bible doesn't say you can. Right. Right. It's still the Holy Spirit's work, and because our authority derives from the Word. My, my authority or the, the church's authority, anybody speaking in the name of the church, is declarative. This will come up later, but I'll just say it now. is declarative, meaning it only comes through what can be declared, spoken, said. Exactly. Yeah? Christ alone is the head of the church. He is the king. He will use physical force when he decides to. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. So even if we excommunicate someone, which we do believe in and do do rarely, it's still only an excommunication by word, meaning saying you are no longer a Christian, but we pray and hope for your repentance of faith. So we're trying to lead someone back to the Lord. 
So we would say, come to church, try to still be a part of the community. You should not take the Lord's Supper because that's not who you are, it appears to us. But is a word. The excommunication is a word. That's the way to put it, yeah. And the other is to realize God is the judge. We aren't. That's right. And even the communion part, there are warnings in Scripture mm-hmm. about That's right. You've been warned. God is judge. The other reason, when you don't think of judgment specifically, the other reason is a compulsory power or a threat or figures of physical force cannot secure faith. So like the, the what's it called? The, thing, the Spanish Inquisition. It's like a confusion of categories. They're trying to get something in a way that they can't get. Right? If you torture someone, you literally can't get them to change their heart through that way. I think some of that, though, is wrapped up in Catholic doctrine. The Catholic Church would say that if you're in church, you're saved, right? Yeah. So, so you can force somebody right. in church. But it's also, like, the way you're speaking about it, it's also a relatively recent, even for Protestants, that's a relatively recent idea. Because even through the 1800s, they would say, you know, if our region Germany is Protestant, then you have to be Protestant for us. Right. That's right. Right, right. No, you're right. Because the church. Yeah, Protestant. That's right. No, you're right. The Protestants did not do a great job of, or they did a horrible job of separating out from the nation state. Like, because the Protestants were being protected by these leaders, these, these national leaders as the nation state was forming. No, you're right. Right, everything got melded together into the state. Yeah. I don't know exactly why. Um, some of them actually believed they were Erastian, which just means they believed that the state actually had some authority over the church to decide which kind of church is orthodox. Um, you got to remember, the, the, trying to divide out religion from politics was, was not something they could imagine because they were, they were so, what? We struggle with it today. Yeah. So it, it was always sort of one. So it was hard to imagine for them, if you have a Christian emperor or a Christian president, how is he, is he not going to enforce what is true? And if he's going to enforce what is true, how's he going to do that? So a lot of Christians have said he should enforce what is true. Ish. <laughs> yeah, Romans thirteen. Romans thirteen is still certainly true. They're an authority by God to punish evil and reward good. But we would say the state the state does that, but it doesn't enforce worship. I think you can remember that part of scripture that says the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Hmm. So when you look over history, you say, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, like, yet, they somehow Right. And so you can see all the nation states that have been defeated, but the church is not, yeah. All right, we're over time. We're going to come back to this stuff next week and finish off doctrine of the church. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you praise that you have uh, redeemed us in Jesus. We do pray that you would uh, soften our hearts for worship, that you would prepare us, that you would uh, lead us to, to receive your word, that we would commune with you and with one another. You have given us such uh, amazing, amazing gifts and graces. Lord, may we uh, give you all the glory and may you empower us to walk in love even in suffering lord uh, that you would make us more into our head we pray in jesus name